When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It's the new edition of the TSL Podcast. This is the sixth episode. Uh, just incredibly happy that this has been getting off the ground as well as it has. Uh, I'm Ricky LeBlue, the Associate Arab Tech Sideline, also the full-time football beat writer for TSL. We also have in studio Will Stewart, the founder and head honcho here at TSL. We also have Chris Coleman, the managing editor. He's also a head honcho as well. Um, these two are my bosses, so i got to be on my best behavior today as always. Uh, so, folks, we just want to kind of, you know, talk about last week versus Delaware. Also, we have to get to the Tavante Beckett suspension, the East Carolina series, and also the game on Saturday when the Hokies will travel to Greenville, North Carolina, for a Saturday. I believe the kickoff is 3.30. Is that right, Will? 3.30 on CBS Sports Network. I believe they're streaming it through their website. These questions always come up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh you know, whether or not you get CBS Sports Network depends upon, you know, how extensive your sports package is on your, your TV carrier. But I think I saw some people talking on the board that you can also watch it through their website. So those are the places you can look. How interesting is it that this game is actually on CBS Sports Network? When was the last time that the tech played on really any CBS affiliate? Probably the last time Would it they be the played. the Sun Bowl? Well, um, you know, the, I think CBS has the AAC package. Okay. So anytime you visit an AAC team, you could wind up on CBS Sports Network. So I'd go back two years and look um, to when they played at East Carolina down there in uh, 2015. Um, other than that. I want to say that game was actually a regional, like, ABC game or something. Was it? I could be wrong. All right. I'll, Either I'll way, go, Tech I'll go definitely is not on, on CBS or any CBS affiliate often. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's go ahead and talk Delaware j- j- just for a little bit. Obviously, not the greatest performance for the Virginia Tech offense. Uh, overall, Tech scored 27 points. I-, I would make the case that really the offense only scored 17 of those, considering you had the punt return for the touchdown, then you had the fumble recovery in Delaware's red zone. Uh, Chris, how surprised were you that the offense struggled as much as it did? No, not very. Um I thought they'd score a few more points. I thought they'd have a few more yards, but they looked about how I thought they would look. Uh, when you consider they had a short week to prepare while Delaware had played on Thursday. You know, Delaware had a long week to prepare. Tech had a short week to prepare. Tech didn't even practice in pads last week because the West Virginia game was so physical. Um, and then it's just, I know playing in Lane Stadium is great and everything like that, but still, after you beat a rival school, in a, in a dog fight like that and that goes down to the wire, it is a little bit of an emotional letdown to come back and play an FCS team the next week. When, and so when you add all that up and the fact that Tech starts three freshmen on offense and you never know how freshmen are going to perform from a week-to-week basis, I'm not surprised. I thought they would look kind of lethargic, and I didn't think they'd look very good, and, and they didn't. I was I think I was kind of surprised, especially the fact that it just seemed like they could never really get into a rhythm offensively. Will, were you surprised as well? 
I think um, <clears throat> looking at it, uh, you know, I, I picked a, I picked Tech to win forty-one to ten, and, and as I wrote my article this week, even then I was I was uncomfortable with picking Tech to score forty-one. I figured, mm-hmm. But then I, I I was like, well, maybe they have some defensive breaks and some special teams breaks, and they did have those things, and they still only scored thirty-one. Uh, excuse me, twenty-seven. Um, I think what the the you asked me if I'm surprised. The one thing that surprised me was um, I wasn't surprised by the two drops by the wide receivers. We'd been told that they were inconsistent. Yeah, um, the two that could have been extensive gains. And I wasn't surprised by Josh Jackson's inconsistency. What did surprise me was how badly he missed a couple of the passes. He, the, the pass to Trayvon, where Trayvon was doing yeah, the, doing the yeah, Sam Rogers down the – That was not even close. Down, that wasn't even close. And then there was another one where he, he was kind of scrambling and he had Dalton Keene out to flat and he, he sailed it way past him. So what surprised me was how far off he was, not that he missed some passes. There was another one I remember he had Cam Phillips on a crossing route early. It might have been on the first drive and, and he completely sailed the throw to Cam, and it ended up landing on the sideline. So Josh Jackson definitely looked a little uneven versus the Blue Hens. One of the other, uh, I think, concerns Tech fans might have at this point is the fact that Joey Sly has really struggled this year. He had another inconsistent game against Delaware, although a couple of those field goals were from long distance for Joey against Delaware. Chris, at this point in the season, are you concerned that Joey Sly may not be the kind of reliable weapon that he was at least last year? I don't know that it's Joey Sly. Um, I saw a picture of Bradburn holding, and and it was kind of the ball was kind of in a pointed in a funny direction for for a field goal kick, and uh, so it might not even be Sly. The fact of the matter is, you know, this coaching staff isn't going to tell you what the issue is. Yeah, if it's yeah. Joey Sly, they're not going to tell got you. That right. If it's Oscar <laughs> Bradburn, they're not they're not going to tell you. I mean, you're just you're not going to know. Um, I know that he hit one from over 50 yards, and he missed one from over 50 yards. And the other one was blocked, and, you know, generally – and it was blocked from the side, right? Somebody came yeah. from the side more yeah. so than straight up the middle, and that's generally not a kicker's fault. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he was one of two against Delaware, both from beyond 50 yards. And if you can get 50% of your kicks from 50-plus yards, I call that a successful day. Now, I am concerned about the whole operation. Yeah, you know, I I don't know about uh, you know, when you get a field goal blocked against Delaware, D- Delaware should not be blocking a field goal against Virginia Tech. Um, is Oscar Bradburn having any issues with his holds? I I don't know. Like I said, they're not going to tell you if he was. Will, uh, how important is it for an offense that is at least kind of inconsistent as this offense is so far with the younger players? How important is it for that entire field goal operation, like Chris was referring to? to kind of get on schedule because they might have some some games where they can't really punch it in in the red zone. Uh, against Delaware, it's not that important. Against Clemson, for example, it becomes really important. Exactly, yeah. um, one of the hallmarks of Virginia Tech football back in the day, pre-Frank Beamer, and then even sometimes after Frank was coaching Tech, was, was missed opportunities. Now, I've been a Tech fan for many, many years. I started at Tech in 1983. I followed them before then, but I've really, you know, paid attention to every single game since 1983. And back then it used to be seven or eight cupcakes, West Virginia, Clemson, Virginia, you know. And I remember some games against Clemson way back in the day that were particularly frustrating where Tech would have a first down inside the 10-yard line and not score and lose 14 to 10, <laughs> you know. So that's that's when these things start to become magnified and – 
So you think about Josh missing wide open receivers and Joey Sly missing. He's usually money inside 40. Yeah. But he's suddenly not. And you start thinking about those things. You're not going to get a lot of opportunities against a team with a really good defensive line like Clemson. And so that's that's where you start kind of getting the little yip factor there, where you're like, ah, hey, it doesn't matter against um, you know Delaware, but it's or probably East Carolina, probably ODU, yeah, it won't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah, you would think. But then suddenly it's going to start mattering. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to see. Tech fans would definitely love to see Joey Sly become kind of that reliable option that he's been. Let's kind of move on from the Delaware game. We don't want to spend too much time on that, but we do have to talk about Devonte Beckett's indefinite suspension. It was announced on Monday. Then we found out uh, on Wednesday that he was charged with possession of marijuana and conspiracy to sell and distribute, which is a, a Class 5 felony, which kind of triggered that automatic suspension for him being indefinitely suspended. Um, obviously not a, a, a great time for the Tech program, but just kind of going back to the on the on-field impact, Chris, how much of an impact does it have really this year? I know he wasn't playing a huge role but he did have a role on special teams, and he was the, the, the immediate backup to Andrew Matupuaka. It doesn't really affect Virginia Tech this year. They'll have to plug somebody else in there on special teams, which I don't, I don't foresee being an issue. Uh, Sean Hill, Hill's camp now slides into the backup spot. He started games for Virginia Tech before. Um, the only real concern there is just that he's been a little injury prone. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. So if he gets hurt, then all of a sudden you're talking Rashard Ashby, who's a true freshman will be your backup, Mike. And he got into the game against Delaware, I believe, on special teams. So he's playing this year. I, I just uh, I don't think it has a big effect this year. Now, next year, after Andrew Matuapuaka is gone, could have a big effect. If he's not back with the team, it was it was expected to be, be him versus Rashard Ashby versus whoever. If they sign Dax Holyfield, you know, maybe yeah, yeah, throw yeah, him Yeah, they'd probably give Dax a yeah, chance yeah, to, exactly. to compete. But now, if you take Tavante Beckett out of the mix, then... You know, right now, if you just cross off the seniors and only leave the the returning players, right now that's Rayshard Ashby's job next year with no competition, and you would prefer to have some competition. Do you think that there's a chance that that on, that Rico Kearney, who was also signed for for the 2017 yeah. class, do you think there's a chance he could compete even though yeah. he wouldn't be playing this year? I think he's redshirted. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He was here during the spring, uh, and you know, I think he's got a college ready body and everything like that. So. If he if he picks up the system, I mean, next spring will be big for him because he was here during the spring, but he didn't get to practice. All he could do was go to meetings and things like that because he was recovering from shoulder surgery. So, so yeah, I think you would have to be able to throw him in, into the mix. Well, one of the things that I remember we had talked about in the office once the 17 class had signed and they had already flipped Dylan Rivers from Penn State was we were starting to get the feeling that linebacker would no longer be a concern depth-wise. Then you have this. Are you kind of getting to that point where maybe the linebacker position is a little bit of concern in the future? I think, you know, let, let's let's make that question larger. Um, watching this unfold uh, just makes me think you can never cram enough good players into the program. Yeah, you really can. You know, and looking at the wide receiver position, one of the discussions around tech recruiting has been how many wide receivers they're recruiting and getting commitments from and signing and then you roll into this year, and they've got they've got Cam Phillips, they've got Sean Savoy they feel fairly good about, and that's pretty much it. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I thought we had 57 wide receivers on the roster. <laughs> it just gets to the larger issue of recruiting in general. I know fans always talk about the, the number of, of signees and commitments and players they have at a certain position, and we always tell them attrition is coming. 
And it's, there's different kinds of attrition. There's attrition due to injury, where guys decide they just don't want to play anymore. There are off-the-field issues that get guys dismissed. They transfer. You know, so, so for me, it's a larger question of you just, you just have to keep cramming guys into the pipeline, even though sometimes it looks like you've got too many at a position. Next thing you know, you don't. Is this so. kind of a case of kind of where that the at the end of the, the the Frank Beamer era, some of those recruiting misses are starting to to come home to roost a little bit? I, I think so, um, and I've been thinking about that some this year, uh, um, just looking at how thin Tech is on the defensive line after losing some recruits who are having really good careers at Florida State and Alabama, um, and I've just you know just in general been thinking. Um, you know, Fuente came in and won 10 games last year, and I'm starting to wonder if there's enough depth of talent in the program right now to do that again this year and maybe next year. Um, I think you might see a little bit of a, you know, I don't want to phrase this too strongly, but just uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to be more difficult to win 10 games this year and next year than it was last year, you know, and, and the defensive tackle position is, is a perfect example of that. If they get one or two injuries to, to those starting DTs, that's going to change the entire defense, you know. So I think you're going to see that going on for the next couple of years where you're going to roll around and you're going to look at a roster and go, oh, they're really, they're really thin at this position. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the issues that Virginia Tech has in the program right now are, are not going to be solved with one recruiting class. And that's how many recruiting classes Justin Fuente has had. Yeah, yeah, one. really. Um, you know, we had heard, we've heard off the record, they would obviously never make this, these comments publicly, but we, we've heard off the record that they that they thought, the staff thought when they took over the Virginia Tech program that about 25% of the scholarship players were not ACC caliber players. So you knew there was going to be attrition. Well, that and there's no way that all of those players are gone. It, right? They're oh no, there, many of them. Yeah, are you got to keep the them around. That's yeah, right. right. Yeah, you know, there's still players on the field for Virginia Tech right now that this staff would not have recruited uh, had they been in charge at the time. Definitely. Yeah. So you know, Tech's recruit recruiting was dropping off there for a while, and you see it in the in the NFL right now on Sundays. Virginia Tech has the fourth lowest total of NFL players of all ACC schools right now. Wow, that's a really interesting stat. I did not know. Uh, that. Yeah, I saw it on the board on our, our boards this morning. I mean, Virginia has more players in the NFL than Virginia Tech, apparently. And and it they, seems like something UVA has always been able to do is that even though in the last, I guess, fifteen years, roughly, they haven't been a particularly good team, it always seems like they've got one or two guys on that roster that are, that are NFL players. It, it was that old thing of, oh, Mike London's a great recruiter. No, <laughs> no, he really wasn't. You know, he he would land a few guys that were really good recruits, and yeah, it could go on to the NFL, but as far as depth of recruiting, no. So before we go on, let's go back in the conversation a little bit. I did uh, pulled the phone out and was doing research. Yeah. Last time Tech played on the CBS Sports Network was actually at Marshall in 2011. Oh, interesting. Uh, the the 2015 game. ECU game was ABC slash ESPN2. So you've got CBS Sports Network for this game. You had it for the Marshall game in 2011. And the last time before that that Tech was on CBS of any kind was the year 2000, back when CBS had the Big East contract. Did you mention the Sun Bowl? Y- yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. The sun, I'm the sun, pretty oh, the sure the Sun Bowl is on CBS. definitely on CBS. That's a CBS game. All right, if we can have a little dead air while I scroll back. <laughs> but, but that's neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and move on from kind of the, the Tavante Becca suspension and how that affects the team. I want to talk this East Carolina series because – this has been one of the things that I think a lot of Tech fans have talked about, especially in the last year, 
after Tech kind of gave East Carolina that drubbing in Lane Stadium in, in 2016. Um, let's kind of go back to the history of the series because I, I think a lot of the fans may not necessarily know, especially you know people who might be my age might not know exactly how it got started. So who, who, whichever you guys want to want to kind of opine on this, how did this whole series get started? I mean, I know that East Carolina and Tech played a lot in kind of the 90s, but how did this series that started in 2007 really get going? Yeah, you're right. They they played, you know, and I don't have it in front of me. And, oh, by the way, yes, the Sun Bowl was on CBS. <laughs> um, uh, they, they did used to play a lot in the 80s and early 90s, and that was actually a good measuring stick game. Now, one game that really stands out to me was 1992. Um, I don't remember the exact details, but Tech – um, started out with a win that year, probably against James Madison or something like that. Um, remember, that was the year Tech went 2-8-1, and, and and they took off after that due to some coaching changes and, and have been a good program ever since then. 1992, they started out beating JMU. They went to East Carolina, led handily, not handily, but they led in the fourth quarter and fell victim to a, a, a late uh, – a late drive by East Carolina. I think their quarterback was Gerard at the time. Not uh, sure. David Gerard was after that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. But he, Blake was it? Steve, was it could have been Jeff Blake. Jeff it was Blake. one of those guys in that Jeff mold. Blake. They always yeah. had those good, big, yeah. strong, mobile quarterbacks. And I sat down. And I wrote a letter to Dave Brand. I was like, "This guy's got to go." Frank Beamer's not getting it done. You know, they were just fading in the fourth quarter a lot, and that that vividly stands out to me that of of watching Tech lose to East Carolina and thinking our coach is not getting it done. And Dave Brand's response, by the way, was he wrote a letter back that very nicely said, you know, if you want to do better as a program, we need more donors. Are you in the hockey club? You know, and he, he knew darn well. I, he knew darn well I wasn't. You know, he looked it up. So uh, so they used to play a lot back then. And, and you know, I could talk more about that, but I won't uh, uh, babble on about that. I think what brought about the, the you know, in – in 2007, Tech and East Carolina, I think I've played every year since 2007, except maybe once or twice, maybe once. And when that deal was signed, it was very similar to the ODU series that was recently announced, which is a long-term home-and-home type thing. And I remember Virginia Tech fans having the same reaction. Now, this series was probably announced in 05, round in there, you know, when Tech was in the top 10 every single year. Yeah, Tech was, I mean, one of the, I mean, they were winning the ACC. They won the ACC first year. They were in it. Yeah, you know, and they were being talked about in the national championship picture yeah. every year. And East Carolina probably wasn't that great back then. They were probably East Carolina, you know, solid. And then Weaver rolls out this long-term agreement. And Tech fans freaked out, just like they did over the ODU series that was announced by Witt recently. And on the surface, you're like, you, oh, we're a big, proud ACC champion program. Why are we traveling to Greenville basically every other year? You know, that's a valid question. And somebody said to me, you know, the East Carolina series isn't really about um, – you just, just you just take a look at the games now. What it gives Virginia Tech is a scheduling partner that they at the time had lost in West Virginia. Remember, they weren't going to play West Virginia yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. That, that, when did that series fall apart again? Was it 05? 05, I think, was the last time they played, but they'd made the decision in, yeah, in 03 that, yeah. they were going to let it die. Another out-of-conference opponent you'd had on a regular basis was Virginia. Well, they were now a conference opponent. Um, so you, you lose Virginia OOC, you lose West Virginia OOC. So Jim Weaver goes and signs this contract with East Carolina, 
part of the argument is recruiting. You're kind of sort of in that 757 area, you know. But somebody told me something I'll never forget. They said, there's a lot of flexibility here. You have a scheduling partner that whenever, you know, ESPN or ABC comes in and says, hey, let's put you in this game against Alabama, you know, in Georgia <laughs> or, or um, suddenly you've got somebody who'll be flexible and that East Carolina was flexible like that. Um, you could move games around and and uh, I think that's part of why Jim also did it. I, th- I think a lot of it. Jim might have not might not have completely realized this at the time, although he probably did because he was a very uh, fiscal-oriented athletic yeah. director. But Alabama just played, just paid Fresno State $1.4 million to play. Georgia is playing, paying who? I believe it is Kent State. Georgia is paying Kent State $1.9 million to play. Virginia Tech has a 65,000-seat stadium, and they clear a little over Two million, two and a half million, something. Yeah, like of that. those sixty-five thousand, you get. I think, I think there's something, some ridiculous number, like seventeen thousand student students. tickets. Yeah. Then there's some comps. Yeah. So you're looking at forty. Bands, I mean, just you're looking at forty to forty-five thousand paid tickets right. at an average of about sixty bucks a ticket. Yeah, you don't. Have, tech does not have enough money to go and spend on these buy games that yeah, other your, schools do. Your gate for a game is going to be maybe two and a half million. Right. You're not going to pay the opponent one but point nine. But almost your entire gate to, yeah, to, exactly. to come play yeah. just to get new opponents every year. And when schools like South Carolina won't do a home-and-home home with you, Tennessee won't do a home-and-home home with you, uh, Georgia won't do a home-and-home home with you, uh, because, and why, why won't they do a home-and-home home with you? Because they have huge stadiums. And even if they have to pay a little bit more to get the Kent State, they want that. They got ninety game. to one hundred thousand people in their stadium. They're making a ton of money by playing a home game. Well, Virginia Tech does not have the luxury of playing in an eighty or ninety or one hundred thousand seat stadium. Uh, and Virginia Tech is probably one of the bottom third Power Five conference schools in terms of revenue. They just cannot afford to go out and buy these games. You know that they didn't. They didn't have to buy West Virginia. That was a home and home. They didn't have to buy Virginia when they were a non-conference team. That was a home and home. But so if you can sign teams up to replace them that you don't have to buy, then you have to take that. I mean, these are cheap games for Virginia Tech, uh, and I understand Tech fans don't like playing these teams every year. But you know, and I, this is a reason they're trying to drive Hokie Club membership up so they have more money, so they have more flexibility, and things like that. So. Until the Tech fan base suddenly becomes, you know, the Florida State or Alabama fan base and starts donating 50 or $60 million a year, then you're going to keep having games like this. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's financially, there's no other way to do it, in my opinion. There's definitely a financial benefit to having having these kinds of games, obviously, with the East Carolina series and then the, the ODU and Liberty series um, that, that Tech announced recently, but... What are some of the negatives about scheduling a team like East Carolina? Are there are there really any of those huge negatives outside of we want to play a better team? You lose to them sometimes. They're they're, they're good enough to uh, at least they were good enough. They were good enough. <laughs> in general. Their uh, their program over the years, Tech and ECU basically used to be the same program back in the eighties and early nineties, and then Tech got in the Big East. East Carolina did not, and. You know, t- suddenly Tech's talent level started going up, and East Carolina's talent level kind of just leveled off, stayed the same, whatever. But and that, so let me jump in here and say, and that, and that really the game you want to remember there was the 2000 game mm-hmm. in Greenville mm-hmm. um, when Tech, you know, Tech had Michael Vick in his second year. The Hokies were highly ranked. They went down there, and East Carolina was packed, and they were foaming at the mouth, and they 
Tech just smoked them. Thirty-one from the nothing at halftime. And I'm, I'm and I think I also had that feeling during the '96 game when Tech stomped them in Lane Stadium and rolled up like 600 yards of offense. Yeah. But I remember, I remember those two games thinking, "Wow, Virginia Tech has separated themselves." Right. From East Carolina. Yeah, because they played them in, in in 1992 and lost, and I think they played them again in '94 and won a pretty one pretty yes. close game, I think. Right. But then by the time '96 came around, when you had four years of recruiting in the Big East. And Tech's talent level had just surpassed theirs at that point. You can tell it when they played on the field. But they're still good enough where if Virginia Tech doesn't play well or Virginia Tech is having a down year, that they, they can very much beat Virginia Tech. And they've done it recently. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not only have they beaten Virginia Tech, some of those other games were just were, were close. I mean, you're talking about 15 to 10, 17 to 10, 16 to 3. Uh, not, and, <laughs> all right, here's another reason Tech fans don't like this series. All right, it's because you know what you lose to them every now and then, which isn't good. But a lot of the games that we won in this series were just boring snooze fest. I, I went to the the sixteen three game I just mentioned was yeah. I think two thousand nine in in uh, in Greenville. I went to that game. Man, that game was boring. We had Tyrod Taylor, Ryan, Ryan Williams, Williams, Jared Boykin, Danny Cole, and we could only score sixteen points. <laughs> that was really just, dull. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> As much emotion as there was at the 2007 game, just speaking strictly on the game on the field, that was also one of those kind of snooze fests. Oh, it was where, a boring game. Where, I mean, yeah. obviously the offense didn't play well. Sean Glennon threw an interception. The first play. Except, I, mean. I believe it was the first play from scrimmage for Tech. So, I mean, East Carolina definitely has been kind of a thorn in Virginia Tech's side. This series is, is slated to end in 2025. I believe Virginia Tech travels to Greenville that year, and then they're done. Um, would you guys be willing to kind of bring this back on, or would you just kind of pr- prefer to keep it with ODU and Liberty at this point? See, that that's not going to happen. Um, I, I never got to write about the, the ODU announcement. Uh, the Liberty thing, I don't get carried away about that. It's kind of weird that Tech's doing a four for two and traveling there a couple of times. But the, the ODU series is the one that I, that I really look at. And to me, it's a very simple Equation: They are removing East Carolina and replacing them with ODU, and it's basically the same. It's, home just, home. it's just a different yeah. program. So there's a little bit of overlap from. I'm, I'm looking at the future schedules here, and from 2022 through 2025, Tech plays both of them every year. But then once once ECU rolls off, that's that's the end of it. And I think ODU is going to be your scheduling partner for the future. I mean, Chris, is that okay with you? Yeah, or do you think East really, Carolina well, like is a I better? Said, I don't think we have any choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Georgia's not going to play us home and home. Tennessee's not going to play us home and home. The the only schools that will play us home and home are Big Ten teams, apparently. Well, now, but we've got all of them scheduled out. Yeah, Penn State. So let's be fair. Everybody's complaining about having to play ODU every year. But if you really go and look, Tech's got good schedules. They've got some good opponents: Michigan, Penn State, Penn State Michigan, State, West know? Virginia again. That uh, part of it, the equation's already been taken Wisconsin. care of. It's not like yeah. we're packing the schedule with ODU. Notre and Dame is yeah. coming. Yeah, good you know. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Our schedule's fine. Go back and look at our schedules in the nineties. Our schedules <laughs> in the nineties were terrible. <laughs> uh, but but we played UVA non-conference, so yeah. it was okay. It was okay. You you played seven Big East games. You played UVA, and then you had three non-conference opponents. And our non-conference opponents were usually Akron, a lot of Louisiana, Western Lafayette. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, tech schedules and non-conference schedules these days are way better than they used to be. I, yeah. I really don't know why people sit around and complain about it. I mean, do they not remember the 90s and the What's 2000s? What's really Probably bugging don't. them is the lack of good, consistent in-conference rivalries. And, yeah. and oh, we, sure. Yeah. You can yeah. beat that horse to death, yeah. you know, about how Clemson never comes here. Florida State never comes here. NC State never comes here. Louisville. All the fun teams are in the other division, you know. Yeah. And all, yeah. the, all the teams that really care about football are in the other division. Well, so. that, I mean, it, in you know, look at the fan bases of the teams in the coastal. UVA, obviously, that's, uh, that's well. They used to have a good fan base, yeah, yeah. But now, with the program not being as good, but you look at North Carolina. No, it's, it, it's you've seen the crowd there. in Keenan Stadium the first Duke, two games. Duke is not there. Pittsburgh, no, nope. nope. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech. Mm, it's passionate, a, it's but a small. Good, they're, yeah. they're, they're, it's, it's a good, solid fan base, but it's small. They're good in Atlanta, but anywhere else, they, There's just they don't not really travel well. Miami. Miami doesn't fill exactly. up pro town. Yeah. So, I mean, did, yeah. we, did we just go through every coastal team and decide that their fan bases all suck? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really sad. And then, and then when you look at it, Clemson's fan base, Florida State's fan base. I feel like NC State's fan base isn't, isn't – Bad. It's, it's, I mean, it's well, I think if they were relative actually, to the rest of the if, coastal, if they were a good, consistent program, I think you'd we'd have a better exposure to how good their fan base could be. Yeah, it's but good they that. have to play yeah. Louisville, Clemson, and Florida State every season, yeah. and Carolina. Yeah, right. And if you look at the the attendance of opening games for all coastal division teams, Virginia Tech had sixty five thousand or sixty three thousand, something like that, in the, in Lane Stadium, and I think Miami had the second best attendance. Of all opening games, I think they were 50, in the fifties. Yeah, but they, you know, it's they but kind you, of inflate their attendance. You know, they report tickets sold, and there's probably thirty or forty thousand people there, or something like that. Who knows? And and that was the second best in the coastal division. And wow, that, that's bad. That would be like, you know, that's like the SEC. I mean, you go to the SEC. Probably the only team in the SEC with lower attendance was Vanderbilt. And, I know because I've, I've researched the Mississippi schools' attendance, and you know their stadiums aren't as big as the other SEC stadiums. They tend to be in the fifties and sixties, but yeah, yeah they, but they they pack don't. it. Yeah. Yep. Let's go ahead and move on to kind of this week's game against East Carolina, which is at ECU. Obviously, like Will mentioned, three thirty on CBS Sports Network. Um, one of the things I really noticed in the Delaware game, and I think it's really important for Tech to correct this in this weekend's game is getting the offense to a good rhythm early on. We saw several shots downfield early on in the game. Tech didn't connect. They didn't run the ball particularly well. And the offense really sputtered for for a long time. Uh, Well, how important is it for the Tech offense to kind of get in that rhythm early, especially on the road? I would, again, make it a larger question than that and just drop the word offense. How important is it for Tech to 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 have offense start? (laughs) Just, um... Just go in there and set the tone early. This this is a East Carolina is a program that's reeling. Um, it, yeah, it, really it, bad. It, its fan base is reeling. Um, you know, we've gone over all the horrible stats of how bad they've been ever since Greg Stroman ran a ran a punt return back against them for the first score in last year's game. East Carolina has been a horrible team, and uh, we have so. Uh, Tech Sideline is part of the Sports War network, and we actually have an East Carolina message board in our network. So I can log into the message board back end for Sports War, and I can see the activity on, on every board in our system. And I can tell you that ever since they got smoked by JMU, that ECU board that, that, that Sports War hosts, it's boneyardbanter.com. 
that ECU board's been really busy. Those people are really upset. Um, so I, I, you cannot let them have uh, uh, any hope in this game. Yeah. Set the tone early. If they got the ball first, three and out, and go score. So, yes, it is important that the Tech offense get off to a good start. I, I, th- I think this is kind of like, like – Custer's last stand for East Carolina here. <laughs> right, they've got they've got That's a, big, a great great they, they, analogy. They, they've got a, a big home game against Virginia Tech. This is this is the ticket on their season ticket package that sells seats and everybody's looking forward to. So even though they're zero and two, you know they're going to come in this game trying to put those first two games out of their mind. Maybe they can turn their season around this Saturday against an ACC team. I mean, this is the game they circle on their calendars. But they're fragile. They are very fragile. Their morale is fragile right now. So if Virginia Tech goes up, goes up and puts up a couple of quick early touchdowns and gets up fourteen nothing, yeah, just get out there and gonna, stomp they're, on their they're, neck. They're, they're, they're going to quit. They're going to fold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of that's what they did in two thousand. Man, Tech got two quick scores, and man, that thing got out of control yeah. quickly. For those who don't really know what, if you haven't read the game preview on TSL's homepage, go read it right now because you'll have a, a really good understanding of where exactly ECU is right now. If you haven't read that yet. Let's go through quickly what exactly ECU is facing at the moment. They they don't have a quarterback. They started, uh, uh, I believe, Gardner Minshew in the first game. He was benched. I like the way you put it in in your section of the preview. You said if you have two, if you're playing two quarterbacks, usually you have you don't no have quarterbacks. one. Yeah, yeah. So and and then Thomas Sirk came in. Who Tech fans should know that name. Thomas Sirk beat Tech earlier in his career at Duke, then transferred. Once I believe it was Daniel Jones at Duke really started to to pick up steam. Yeah. Thomas Sirk's in concussion protocol, so you don't even know if you're going to have him. You might, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, ECU re- replaced its defensive coordinator after getting smoked by West Virginia on the road. Uh, again, like you mentioned, Will, they lost to James Madison to begin the season in Greenville. Uh, so th- th- this is this is a program, like you mentioned, Chris, this team's really, really fragile right now. They've had two really kind of just bad, bad games, and you just lost a coach, and you don't know who your quarterback is. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, imagine was, how mad the tech fan base would be if they were in that position I, in I, East Carolina right now. When I was now. writing the preview yesterday, I was trying to find something good to say about But there's, about there's just Carolina. not a and, lot and there. Like, I, I'm not saying all this to pile on because I, I like East Carolina. I respect their fan base because I know the programs used to be the exact same, the exact yeah. same level. But their offense is bad. I mean, Thomas Sirk was a good quarterback for Duke. But for East Carolina, he's completing barely fifty percent of his passes with five interceptions and two touchdowns. Total. So are they, are they, are they, they just got to be poorly coached. Their defense has given up exactly six hundred fourteen yards in each of their first two games. <laughs> JMU rushed for four hundred yards on them and averaged ten yards a carry. So I'm like, man, they're not good at anything offensively or defensively. So I go down to special teams. I'm like, well, maybe they're decent at special teams. <laughs> nope. Like a hundred and eleventh in special teams efficiency. Just bad across the board. I think they're like. A hundred something in penalties, just <laughs> wow! It, it, it definitely seems like a comedy. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe Minshew and Cirque this year have combined for ten picks and maybe four to five touchdowns. They, they might not win a game. It's possible. I mean, it, it definitely is possible, especially with them being in the American now. Which now, is, now you know they play UConn. I, I guess right. Who, they who, they whipped UConn last they year. Them, it, all right, they've lost what eleven of their last twelve games, yeah. but their one win was what a forty-one to three win over UConn. <laughs> who must be an awful team? Doesn't doesn't UVA play UConn? Yes, they yes they do play this uh, weekend. I believe it's at through. UVA. But is this is this Randy, is this Randy Edsel's first year back at UConn? Did he go or, back? Or was UConn? that last? Year? Yes, Randy Edsel yeah, was Edsel, back, Edsel at UConn, back to UConn, which was an interesting. Well, they, they beat UVA last year. 
Remember the, the yes. field goal debacle at the, at the yeah. end of the game? Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a tangent. But anyway. Going back to ECU's new defense coordinator, Robert Prunty, who obviously Tech fans should probably know Robert Prunty was the head coach at Hargrave, and then he's kind of bounced around at, at, at a, a lot of places. Chris, I know you – didn't you play yeah, against a I Robert played, Prunty I pl- team in high school? I did. I played against a Robert Prunty coach team in high school, and, and they were a very good team. They were a well-coached team. And when you when – you, I, I remember playing against them, and I, I didn't feel like they were – physically that much better than us but but they were a way better team than us because i think they were so well coached i mean the guy knows how to coach football obviously with him taking over the the moving up from defensive line coach to defensive coordinator and he's had maybe five days to to, kind of get his team ready how much can a defensive coordinator change the defensive system in five to six days you know uh chris has written you really can't and and that's accurate but there are wrinkles you can add in. Like you look at what Tech did at Ohio State in 2014. Ohio State had no idea that that bare front was coming. Um, so Prunty might have something like that in his bag of tricks. Right. And then if I'm East Carolina, I try some stuff early to try to you know get up yeah. a little bit and and. Is keep it the more game of close. a tendency thing that, uh, that instead of changing maybe the schematics of things, I, you maybe change your tendencies? That, that's certainly the biggest thing you can change, as opposed to like maybe how often you blitz on third down or what you do in certain down and distance situations, what kind of type of coverages you call. You can change schematically to a certain extent. You know, you know, like. Uh, like he, Will talked about, you know, the Bear defense against Ohio State. But you, you can't change in the middle of the season your your core uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Your, your, scheme? Uh, not necessarily scheme, but your your base values, who you are as a defense. Core principles. You can't change from like a one-gap scheme to a, do, to a two-gap scheme, something yeah, like that yeah. in the middle of the season. So, And the Tech offensive coaches are, are good enough that – I, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a big issue. It, it, it could be more of an issue for some of the freshmen on offense. Now, that's my biggest concern is if they're prepared during the week to see one thing and they see something completely different during the game. But honestly, that's going to be a concern as we go out the season because defensive coordinators will have wrinkles for them as we go throughout the season, and they'll just have to adjust on the fly. Definitely every time you have a, a young offense, and especially a retro freshman and quarterback, you do leave yourself prone to those kinds of things. Let's go ahead and move on to our over-unders for ECU. Uh, we're actually going to start keeping track of these, I promise. So we will have a report next week on the on the podcast on how we're doing, uh, at least how we're doing with these. What, Will, you wanted to do an over-under on attendance, and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, just a couple quick stats for, for ECU attendance. A official sellout for them is 50,000. That's the official listed capacity of the stadium. Um, their average attendance from 2013 – through last season is 43,289. However, the last two times Tech has traveled to Greenville and played in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, there have been over 50,000 people there. So we're going to set the over-under at 49 because, like Chris mentioned before we went on air, this has not been sold out yet. It has not been announced as a sellout, so they're not at that number yet. So give me your over-unders on attendance. Will, we'll go to you first. I'll go under. Because they've had two bad games this year, but they had a bunch of bad games last year, too. Which also could affect their, their season ticket sales. Right. Uh, so, um, everybody who showed up, I don't know what their attendance at the JMU game was, but those people saw a really bad game. They saw a game where ECU was losing 34-7 to until the last 30 seconds of the game, and they scored a touchdown to make it 34-14. They watched JMU rush for 400 yards. They watched um, – 
uh, JMU get 614 yards total. I'm talking about the in-stadium yeah. oh, in experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a certain number of those people that even aren't going to come see Tech uh, CECU play against Virginia Tech. So I'm thinking under 49. I, I'm going to go under, too, just barely. And I say this, I, I don't know how East Carolina counts their attendance. Do they – if they count tickets sold or do they count butts and seats? If they just count butts and seats, then it's definitely going to be under, in my opinion. Uh, but it, it could go over or be about a push because I do think the East Carolina fan base is predominantly in the eastern part of North Carolina. I don't think may, there's many of them that are a long way away from Green. Yeah, most of them yeah. are kind of just close. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and so I think that helps their attendance a lot. I'm gonna go with slightly over, but I do I do not think it'll be a sellout. But I, I mean, by slightly over, I mean they might get forty nine thousand and four. I mean, it, <laughs> right. it, it might be. I, I just don't know if they're gonna get below that forty nine thousand number, just because, like 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 we've mentioned, Tech is that premier home game that they put on the schedule every year to sell season tickets. So if fans are gonna go to a game this season, you feel like this is probably the one, right? Yeah, and probably the one I'm thinking about is 1992 when Miami came in here. They were number one in the country. Virginia Tech was not good, and yet, you know, there was still a really good crowd there. So that, that that's a solid point that even when your team's in a bit of a tailspin, people will show up for the premier game, and that's what this is. I think East Carolina is a good fan base. I, I think they, they definitely seem they, like a good fan base. really good fan base, actually, uh, especially for, for an American, you know, athletic conference team. I think that they have probably the best fan base in that league. I'm sure they do. But, well, they very I, well let's, might. Let's be honest. They have the best fan base in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> uh, you know. yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I really don't think you're wrong. But uh, So I think they understand that there's there's more to the game day experience than just the game. I mean, that is a big party town. And the game, yes, the game is very important to them. And they're going to make coaching changes after the season or after next season, in my opinion. I mean, this era is not going to. It sounds not, like it's not going to last because they're 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 really angry. But they all they're also good enough fans to appreciate all the other activities that go in with a game day, as far as tailgating, hanging out with your friends that you tailgate with each and every week. So. And and it is a good game time, three thirty. Yes, yeah, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. like it's a new, being a new right, game. Right. And you're going to have good weather. You're talking about eastern eastern North Carolina in the middle of September. It's going to be good weather. And as far as I know, I don't think they're calling for like heavy rain. I don't believe there's like anything that. on yeah. the on the forecast, yeah, but I'm gonna have so to either. look. Yeah, so, because so I mean, I'm gonna get wet walking to the stadium. So you know, even if you go into that stadium kind of knowing what's gonna happen, you can still have a good time that weekend just because of the time of the year, the time of the game, et cetera, et cetera. We'll move on to the second over under, which I I wanted to talk about rushing yards because. But, but by all accounts, Tech had a very good rushing performance against West Virginia. They, I think they averaged over five yards of carry. Josh Jackson led the team in rushing. Obviously had that big run up the middle on that keeper, but it felt like the rest of the running game was still efficient. Uh, against Delaware, that was not the case. They averaged 2.9 yards of carry. Josh Jackson didn't even run the ball well. None of the running backs ran the ball well. I believe Jalen Holston was probably the most efficient. Certainly. And that was at the, in the, at the end of the game, and ECU knew they were running the ball. Uh, so I'm going to set the over-under at four, which kind of seems in the middle. Um, uh, against a reeling ECU defense, will over-under at four yards per carry for Tech? Over. Um, for some reason, I don't think you're going to see Virginia Tech wind up with a lot of rushing yards in this game. But I think when they do run it, they'll be they'll do pretty well at it. So I'll, I'll go with I, over. Not I, way over, but over. I, I'm going over, too. I mean, Tech – 
Tech wasn't exactly vanilla per se against Delaware offensively, but I thought they were vanilla in the running game. They only did one of their uh, um, one of their end around plays. One, their one jet, jet sweep, and that was to CJ Carroll. Uh, and that and they didn't uh, they didn't run a lot of read. They didn't run any read option really. I don't remember yeah, seeing yeah. any. Yeah. So, but they, but they will do that against East Carolina. And honestly, Delaware's defense is better than East Carolina's defense. Yeah. I mean, that's it's definitely not, a fair you, point. You they're at least more experienced. Yeah, I mean, you can't say that they're more talented, but they returned 10 starters from last season. And, you know, East Carolina's, you know, got some older players in their defense, but, man, they're just giving up swaths of yardage. You, you, I mean, Del- Delaware would not give up 614 yards to James Madison. Yeah, as good as James Madison is. They're, both I'm, of them are FCS programs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm take, taking nothing away from JMU. They're the national champs for a reason. But – yeah, Delaware's defense is better than East Carolina's, so I think Virginia Tech's going to have a better game offensively this week. I am not convinced that the offense will be good enough to have four yards of carry. I do think, and I wrote this in my preview, I think they will be slightly better offensively than they were versus Delaware, but I'm still not comfortable after seeing what I saw versus Delaware that this team will, will just kind of push East Carolina around a little bit. So I'm going to go under, but slightly under. So I think I'm a contrarian on both of these, so... We'll see if I'm the GOAT or the WOAT after next week. Uh, we'll go ahead and move to our score predictions. I know we, we did this in the game preview, but I want to talk about it on the podcast as well. Uh, Chris, go ahead and give me your score prediction, just kind of a, a basic quick on how you see this game kind of playing out. I, I think when you look back over the last 12 games, I mean, East Carolina started off good last year. They blew out Western Carolina. They beat NC State. They lost to South Carolina, a game that they really should have won. Should have won, yep. So when they came to Lane Stadium last year, I was like, man, we're going to face a good team. This will be a good early season test for us. Next thing I know, it's 38 nothing Virginia Tech at halftime. And I'm talking to an East Carolina fan, and he's like, man, I haven't seen anybody handle us like this in like 10 or 15 years. And now he's seen it a bunch. Now he's seen it a bunch of times. <laughs> it's happened every week. God, they, get, they ended up giving up 66 points to Navy. Uh, they, they, the there, was a three, there was a three-game stretch where they gave up 45, 55, and 66. Yeah. What is that, 55 points? They gave yeah. up 55 Man. points a game that, for a three-game stretch. Yeah, that's I mean, bad. So they've been a bad football team ever since. I think they've lost 11 out of 12, and those losses are coming by an average of 24 points. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you can't – there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that they're going to play Virginia Tech a good football game on Saturday. Because they haven't done that to anybody over the last year except UConn. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, UConn. Good old UConn. <laughs> so, I mean, this is last I checked, it was a 21-point spread, and I guess that seems like a lot for a road game. But if you look at what they've done the last year over the last year, no, it's not. It might be low. I've got Virginia Tech, what did I pick, 38-17. I called it a push. I'm still – I'm being that a little – sounds. Con- it sounds about right. I'm being a little conservative because you just never know how some of Tech's younger players will play in their first road game. But I just don't think East Carolina is good enough to put up much of a fight. Yeah, I've, I picked uh, 35-13, and I'm just being conservative based on what I've been seeing out of Tech. Um, you know, they had 303 yards of offense against Delaware. They'll, they'll, I think some of the plays they missed against Delaware, they'll hit against ECU. But I'm still only looking for 400 to 450 yards. It sounds silly since everybody else is stomping East Carolina, but – it's I, I spent some time like probably about a week ago looking at my predictions for last year and tech started out with the Liberty win, the uh, Tennessee loss, and then they played Boston college, East Carolina and North Carolina and North Carolina. And they blew out all three of those games. And I was conservative in all three of those. Cause I still wasn't, wasn't, you know, yeah. uh, I still wasn't convinced. 
And then I'm sure I picked him to romp at Syracuse. Absolutely. Sure enough. <laughs> yeah, sure enough, they ended up losing so, that game and the jiffy popped down. So this, you know, picking games is kind of uh, – I did 35-13 in print yesterday. Today I feel maybe that's a little conservative, but, you know, what I put in print is what I got to stick with. I'm going to go 34-10, and, I, and again, like I wrote in my preview, I think that this game will go relatively similar to how the Delaware game went. I think that Tech's offense will struggle a lot, but they'll still be able to put up some points. It would not shock me if Tech's defense or special teams score again this week just because East Carolina's offense and, and special teams are so bad. Um, and, I, and Delaware had two chances in the red zone that they could have scored, and they didn't. So I think ECU might be able to put those away. But I, I, I don't think it'll be a game where it'll, the, the outcome of the game, the result, will never be in doubt. I think you'll you'll understand that Tech will win this game the entire time, but I'm not sure it's going to look very good in, in that win. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, you know, until they show us otherwise. Exactly. Well, folks, let's go ahead and wrap it up. That's about all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the sixth episode of the TSL Podcast. The game preview for East Carolina is already up on the website. Make sure you go ahead and read that. Also, we'll have a film review piece out later today, which is Thursday, uh, talking about Tremaine Evans and his performance against Delaware. And we'll also have the uh, official law from Friday Q&A on Friday with Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman and I will be on uh, the clubhouse with Danny Noakes on Friday as well from, from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So make sure to listen to that. Uh, thank you very much, folks, for listening, and we'll see you next time.